So we're, I'm here with. Uh, oh my goodness! We're, we're, I'm here with Pastor Danny and Pastor Ryan and the Yodeling Pickle. Yes. Um, yeah. Best I, birthday I don't know if you present knew, ever. Pastor Ryan turned 30 years old. Thank you for that. Last you, week, and so yeah, be sure to let him know he's a grown up now. I'm a real boy. And uh, and uh, anyway, so we're we're uh, recording this live <laughs> conversation. With you today, because um, last uh, this we were going to meet with some missionaries uh, tomorrow night, or I guess when you're listening to this, it'll be tonight. And uh, but because of the the virus, we we've canceled that event. And um, so in between, we're in between the Snake Crusher series, which I'd really encourage you to go to Google Play or Apple Podcasts or Spotify to listen to Pastor Danny and Pastor Ryan as they dig into. Um, Jesus' journey to the cross and um, and what that means for us. Um, we're gonna we're just gonna kind of kind of talk. Uh, Pastor Ryan's uh, prepared some questions ahead of time, and he'll be kind of facilitating the conversation. And uh, if any of you are watching live and comment, Pastor Danny is watching the uh, the comments section, and we may even answer questions you have uh, live right here in our in our stream. So. In the blue room, in, in the, the studio, blue, in the, blue in, studio, yeah, in our little <laughs> yodeling pickles, yodeling pickles. Yeah. Also, uh, if you can spot three onions or three snack packs, Pastor Danny will give you a special gift, <laughs> <laughs> whatever that is. Maybe something from the same store he got the yodeling pickle at. <laughs> hey, it's the best birthday present I got this year, Danny. Is it the only so, yeah. birthday present you got this well, year? Well, no, my brother also got me uh, some pretty sweet golf balls. Oh, so. nice. I'm a little nervous to play with them, though, because they're expensive. So he's so. not going to listen to this later and hear that a yodeling pickle beat out <laughs> his, be, yeah. his birthday no. gift. I uh, hope not. <laughs> hope not. So, uh, yeah, so... Pastor Danny uh, opened us up with the Snake Crusher series uh, a couple weeks ago, and he went from Genesis all the way to uh, Jesus, yeah, all the way to the cross. Uh, And then last week I talked about Jesus' anointings uh, as he was headed to the cross as well. Um, And so we come to this point uh, where Jesus enters Jerusalem uh, to start Holy Week. this is where all the, f- a lot of our, uh, the way we do things comes from. Uh, can you say it? Yeah, nice. Uh, so uh, we're. I'm gonna read Jesus uh, coming into Jerusalem as king in Matthew chapter 21. This is in all four gospels. I know Danny um, has done some work with uh, Luke. I think is what you said. Yeah, putting in work, son. Uh, So this is what it says. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. Um, Matthew 21. Uh, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, which is important, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, 
See, your king comes to, king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and a colt, the foal of the donkey. <clears throat> the disciple went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So the first question I want to uh, start with is sure. I, I've, actually, I've never noticed this. Did you, did you ever notice that it was a colt and a donkey? Yeah. I, this is the first time. I, I kind of so why do you think there's two? That's what I was thinking. I'm sitting here reading. Why is there two? Which one did Jesus ride on? He rode on the colt, right? Well, the colt's a baby, right? So the he colt, just it says the colt is a baby of a donkey. So was it was he on the donkey and it's kind of like a it's kind of like a an ironic thing that we're going to talk about in a minute Jesus Jesus is king and so there's there's a an irony in the sense that they would have expected him to ride on a um a premier battle horse a kind of uh stallion uh or a modern term is colt but um but instead he rolled, rode on a, a different kind of colt the foal of a donkey, and so it's kind mm-hmm. of this this ironic poke at what people expected, and the way that Jesus came. I guess my question is why why did he need both though? He, why did he need the donkey and the colt? He didn't have both. It's it a, says on a colt, comma the foal of a donkey. They called the foal of a donkey a colt. And on a colt, oh, I guess it just is because it says in it says there when he uh, quotes the prophet, he says gentle and riding on a donkey. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Am I just not? Hmm. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. What translation are you reading? I'm in NIV. Let's check out ESV. Or probably NASB. Or just look up Zechariah. <laughs> Zechariah 9.9. Just look up the original right? translation, Zechariah. Give me a Hebrew, Hebrew Bible out. ESV. I don't think that it's. I don't think yeah, it's naming. No, and even in ESV, it says here in verse seven, they brought the donkey and the colt, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Well, Why yeah. So I mean, maybe it's just something, something to think about at home. Yeah. This is classic Jewish meditation. Well, I think you're overthinking it. I think you're reading into it more than is actually there. But we verse can. seven <laughs> says they brought the donkey and the colt. And put on them their cloaks. Matthew 21, verse 7. Like I said, so this says, my notes here say that the colt would not have ridden easily without the mother present. Hmm. Since this was apparently had never been ridden before, is what my notes point to. So maybe that's why there was both. Donkey, man. Yeah. Just part of the, uh, part of creation, following Jesus, man. Human followers, donkey followers, 
They were both there. I never noticed that. That they was like the donkey yeah. and the colt. It's not, it's not the same thing. Nope. Two different things. And I think it's... An, I wonder if this is paralleling. I talked to Danny about this earlier. Of how when Mary rode a donkey on the way to Jesus' birth. Mm. Uh, and so there's mother and son. And then here, there's mother and son for the donkeys, where Jesus is riding mm. in as Savior and as King. Yeah, as King Jesus. King Jesus. But this starts our Holy Week discussion. Uh, and wanted to pose the question first is, why was it even important for Jesus to want or need to go to Jerusalem? Um, this is Jesus is on his way to Passover, uh, which I think is ultimately this uh, where we're going to end up. Yeah. However, uh, Danny, thoughts? Why was it important that Jerusalem be the place where Jesus heads? Oh man, Jerusalem! Jerusalem's a really you know really significant location uh in the story of the scriptures right the scriptures don't just start with jesus life man there's a whole whole history leading up to it um i don't remember how many of the gospels exactly but there's even some gospels that they save you know jesus was jewish and so he's going to jerusalem for feast every year yeah for passover and for all these things festival of unleavened bread festival of trumpets Uh, So, you know, obviously this isn't his first time, but uh, the gospel writers, you know, found it so significant that some of them save this one time. Uh, And the way I kind of like to think about it, especially in terms of this snake crusher series, is it's the the showdown. Yeah. It's like Jesus is rocky and this is the ring. Jesus is coming up into the (laughs) ring and he's about to fight somebody, man. I don't know if it's Rocky one, that Russian guy. Or does he fight Creed in the second one? Yeah. I don't know anything about I don't the Rocky know. movies, man. I, I don't know. So, watch them. So it's like building up to like the final battle. You know, Jerusalem is the, the hot spot. And so uh, Jesus here is coming in for something. And, you know, they've been building it, building up this, this anticipated trip to Jerusalem. Uh, and so I think it's pretty significant to see uh, that we have the showdown to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, the only showdown that I remember being. I remember seeing. Did you ever watch Carmen? Carmen. Uh, yeah. Like, Pastor, heard. did you ever watch Carmen? Oh yeah. Uh, one of my favorite artists. In fact, I mentioned one of his songs in it. It was actually part of the theme for a series we did a year and a half ago. Mm. And everybody made. Good back point. to the question. Back to the question. Yeah. Why was it important that Jesus went to Jerusalem? Why did he need to uh, to go there? Well, well it. I don't, I don't know if Pastor Danny covered this or not, but in Luke, in the book of Luke, Luke is broken into three sections, basically, and there's a very distinct section where it says that he turned his face towards Jerusalem, and after, um, after, after, uh, after chapter 12, he turns his face towards Jerusalem, and he begins talking about... Um, he begins talking about taking taking up the cross. He begins talking about counting the cost. He begins. There, you hear stories of other people coming to him and saying they want to follow him. And he says, "Well, there's other things that are in your heart." And so, the the gospel writer in Luke he he shows how Jesus has this distinct surrender in his heart 
to some to to God's path and what the gospel writer intends for his friend to see is that um, in order to be king in order to become first he must become last he must uh, he must empty himself and so we've we've been we've had this little so- aside about the colt and the donkey and the foal and all that um, but but as we said at the beginning, the whole point of that of Jesus riding on the donkey in that way is everybody expected him to ride on a stallion declaring war on the enemies of Jerusalem. And instead, he rode in in glory, but in as meek a way as he possibly could have. And the disciples are so confused. In all of the gospel accounts in that final week of life, they are so confused because they keep waiting for the moment that Jesus, you know, pulls back the Clark Kent shirt and reveals the Superman costume underneath and obliterates the enemy. And instead, he stay, he, he has set his eyes on Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is, it's the holy city. I mean, if you, if you read this story all the way to the end uh, in the scriptures, Jerusalem is, is at the center of the new earth. It right. is. It's the. It's the heavenly city, and so he he set his eyes on Jerusalem, uh, and on a throne. Set his eyes on a throne, but that throne mm. can only be attained in in a reverse kind of way. So it's the whole journey is incredibly important. So important that John John basically spends seven chapters of his right. gospel on one week of Jesus' life, three and a half years of ministry. He he re, he says at the end of the gospel, if I wrote down everything that we witnessed and that Jesus said there's not enough books in the world to contain it but here's what's important it's yeah. this one week of Jesus life mm-hmm. it's this journey to Jerusalem it's the path that's crazy that's yeah. I feel like we should intense. talk some about kind of what was the contextual life like for people in Jesus' time and how their kind of circumstances with Roman authority and rule and kind of how what their rule looked like in their land uh, how that kind of influenced their idea of what the Messiah King would look like uh, from their understanding of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, and so, you know, and you guys probably know a lot about this too, but like uh, Israel has kind of, ha- they're in this weird state where they've kind of returned from exile from Babylon, but they're not really fully in this promised land, you know, like the Old Testament's talking all the time about how God's going to establish his kingdom forever but they're in this weird state where even though they're back in their homeland and they're back in the promised land, you know, they're still under heavy burdens of slavery and taxes. And even like the ruler of their land isn't, was Herod even a Jew, right? He was like a half, you know? Yeah, he was a half breed. And so like when they, when they're, when it comes to, yeah, he was such a (laughs) mugler. When it comes to expecting, you know, a savior and someone to come in where, where in the old Testament they're reading about how this kingdom is going to be established forever. I mean, like part of me can't blame them. Right. I mean, if there's a King that's going to come, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to have enough provision for me and my family. And I'm hoping I'm not going to still have to fall under the, these Roman guards and rules who could just tell me to pick up things and go for miles and who could probably just, you know, do whatever they want and, you know, have the heavy burdens of taxes and debt. And, you know, and so I think part of it, too, is they were expecting this, but they also were under an extreme amount of suffering and uh, 
you know, kind of tough circumstances at the point too. But is that even in a Rome? Is it just a Roman context? I don't think so. I think oh, when you look at the Old Testament by itself, they wanted a king, yeah, and they mm-hmm. desired a king. Um, and then when Jesus does come, Jesus does nothing but turn upside down the normal kingdom uh, of what they're expecting. So I think the the riding in on a donkey and not a white shining horse in uh, some sort of parade to show that he just won a victory or won a battle. Um, it just goes back to they were constantly looking for David or Solomon. Yeah. And they were that's who they were expecting, and yet they got someone who is humble yeah. and a servant. Well, and the thing is, is we learned a few months ago, we, we did this whole series, 10 weeks on First and Second Samuel, in search yeah. of a king, and we saw that even David, who is celebrated by the Scriptures, who's, who's lifted up by God and, and set apart to be like this linchpin in Israelites, in Israel's history, still was flawed and fallen, and he cost the Israelites much. And Solomon, too. Solomon is the height of Israel's splendor, and yet he, he brought all these pagan gods and rituals into the kingdom. And, and so, like, Israel's problem is self-wrought. Like, yes, they're oppressed, and yes, it would be natural to look for a king, but their lust for a human king has been costing them since they entered the promised yeah. land. God gave them the promised land with no king, just just a, an anointed leader, and and offered them his presence, and he, they were even afraid of, his, of God's presence and leadership, which is why Moses and Aaron went up on the hill alone, and why Moses went into the tabernacle alone. Not just their relationship with God, but because Israel was scared or unwilling to pursue a relationship that was not like the one that other people had. So it's significant that Jesus sets his eyes on Jerusalem. It's significant that he has to go to Jerusalem because he is once and for all settling what the kingdom of God looks like relative to the kingdom of men. Like once and for all saying, you have for far too long lusted after human kind of power when divine power has been... And this is still a problem today, right? Sure, yeah. We we still... I hate to say it, but many more people are far more familiar with the pundits of Fox News and the enemies on their less favored channels than they are with the scriptures and what Jesus says about the kingdom and what it means to live as as citizens of that kingdom in a world still lusting for human power. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think that that is what blinded the religious leaders so much as well, is they got so focused on... Uh, kingship that accepting anything less than that would kind of go against what they have imagined for their entire lives. Uh, And so, which I think legalism flows out of that quite a bit. So I think that would have been a huge hurdle uh, for them to accept Jesus because they were expecting David or whoever. Yeah, I think I think a big part of it too was kind of the the king's posse. Like I think that was a big part, especially how Luke kind of focuses on the upside down nature of the kingdom and and you know, with kind of the center sometimes of Jesus' teaching going into the parable of the lost son, 
how Jesus focuses a lot on how he came to help those who are lost and far away from God. And I think Luke especially points out that uh, a lot of the religious leaders had an issue with those who Jesus was eating with, dining with, hanging out with, healing with, with phrases like, doesn't he know he's with sinners? He's there with Matthew, the tax collector. And I think, you know, not only kind of the way the king comes in, but I think a, a big part of it was if someone's a prophet, if someone is of God, they would know who the people around them are like and what they kind of have. And if he's of God, doesn't he know that those things make him unclean, unholy, unworthy? And, uh, and so and not, not a only, king. Yeah. Right. And not yeah. a king. Yeah. Right? And so that's something interesting to kind of note as he's going into Jerusalem, by the way, which some people commentate, he was actually weeping right during that ride going into Jerusalem. I know Luke points out, uh, in Luke 19, he says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, uh, would that you, even you had known on this day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Right. And so Jesus is coming in as, you know, the new King, the Messiah, the new David, you know, just bringing God's kingdom. But, uh, but he's also saddened because he knows that he will, he will himself be missed as he's making yeah. this triumphal entry. What a juxtaposition like image there, like yeah. the king coming in, but not welcomed. Hmm. Hmm. The king they've always been looking for and waiting for. Here he is. Yeah. That's it. So to t- take a step back of Danny, what you were just talking about. One thing I pointed out last week was um, Jesus was, his feet were anointed by a prostitute and he was in the house of Simon uh, and Simon was like, don't you know who this woman is? And Jesus actually never interacted with the woman directly, but interacted with Simon saying, or there's no, uh, in the scripture, there's no interaction um, but he focuses on Simon's heart rather than, because Simon's like, this woman is unclean. Why, what does she think she's doing? Like, doesn't she know she's touching Jesus's feet, the son of God's feet? Um, so again, like just another point of even in heightened spiritual moments, like getting anointed, uh, People around Jesus were expecting him to send her off and send her away. So, um, yeah, but so diving more into this expectation of a king or a different king than Jesus, um, how, how do we see that now? What do we focus on? What are we expecting from mm-hmm. Jesus? Or what are we expecting... Um, of ourselves like what are we looking for when jesus is there does that make sense so like what are we now looking for Mm. when instead of what 
I don't know. Yeah. Not, so, so I think a good, good way to look at it is those, those who were around in Jesus time were looking at, at the savior to overthrow a, a Roman ruler who was ruling unfairly to them, putting them in slavery, bondage. People were going into debt at that time. And so for them, that was the expectations of Jesus, but he let those things overcome him and forgave, right? Forgave his enemies on the cross. And so I guess the question is for us today, what are the powers, rulers, and authorities that may, we may be looking, whether physical, maybe biological, medical, whatever, that we see today that we're saying, oh, King Jesus is all about, if Jesus is king, really king, then he would get rid of this thing. Yeah. Then he would overthrow that thing. Then he would stop this thing. We vote this way, right? And if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, then this is the way you vote. And right. these are the people you right. support. And these are the issues that you stand behind. And right. Boy. <laughs> Truth is like the foothold the foot the stronghold that the enemy has in our hearts over human power is so strong, like I'm reluctant to even touch on those topics because people just cannot fathom that that is not what God is concerned with. Right. And and even that, like, I realize, like, some of you would like me to unpack that just so you could argue with me about it, because you, you have ideas about what I might be thinking or saying. And you need to wrestle with that in your own heart and what yeah. the Holy Spirit has, says about that. This has been an issue. This is the whole, the whole bent of Scripture is, is that we continually look for God in the empire, and mm-hmm. he's not in the empire. Yeah. He's in the kingdom. We're still worshiping Babylon. We're still, we still look at our Assyrian and mm-hmm. Moabite neighbors, and we want what they want, what they want and what they have. We still do that. And, and I'm not saying that God's not in the government, but it seems like we only think he's there when the people we think should be there are right. there. You know? And like to add on to that, we expect and we vote in a way that if we vote for this party or this ideal, then that's when the kingdom is going to come. When yeah. when we have quote unquote our leaders and who we choose and who we think is, is gonna do right. Those are the people who are going to usher in the kingdom and not the church, not the people of Christ who are serving their neighbor and loving their neighbor. Uh, But I I do think that we look at the empire for salvation Mm -hmm. instead of the kingdom. And unless you think that this is not as big a deal as we're making it, please understand that they tried to kill Jesus way before this. But what finally got him killed is when he really started on purpose pressing into the governance and power and authority issues uh, in the Israelite culture and in the Roman uh, Empire. It, it was literally uh, when he started pushing against power and pushing against authority and politics that got him killed. And you still see this today. There is nothing that will get a pastor fired quicker than to start suggesting that our obsession with power and politics or get him in hot water at the very least 
is a major problem. And so, yeah. so I recognize we're messing with our own security <laughs> yeah. right now. But yeah. but y'all are quarantined, yeah. so I'll right. But we're just later. associates. We can't have so a board not, meeting to fire anymore. us until yeah. <laughs> later. Yeah. It'll be eight also weeks before you can fire us. So we can That's true. Well, we they fire him. We got to go too. So. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't get paid. So uh, yeah, true. Very true. I mean. I think uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem is huge because, especially for a Passover feast, uh, or any feast, but Passover particularly. So this is the day in Exodus chapter 12, um, I think it was verse 3. This is the day where the, the Easter sheep, where the Passover lamb was set aside, where he, they choose the Passover lamb. And so, on this same day, Jesus is entering Jerusalem as our Passover lamb. And so, uh, in two weeks, on Wednesday night, it's going to be Passover. And more than likely, we're still going to be in quarantine. Uh, so, But I have that Wednesday night, uh, and I'm excited about that because Passover is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, let's talk about the idea that Jesus is our Passover lamb, uh, spotless and and perfect and whole. Yeah, and remember, we're taking all your Facebook comments. We're willing to answer any questions you have. So make sure to leave the comments in the Facebook Live, and uh, we'll love to talk about the questions or comments yeah. or you guys have. So going into Jesus as the uh, Passover lamb, Pastor, do you want to just speak to um, maybe the tradition of Passover and why that was even a thing that Israel celebrated? Just a brief yeah. description of what that is. and So maybe one of the most epic and commonly known Bible stories in the Scriptures is the Exodus. And like I, I have memories mm-hmm. as a kid. We, we borrowed from the library the uh, Charleston Heston Ten Commandments movie and is that the one that, where he gets the awesome perm after he sees? Uh, that's my favorite part. Um, I mean, my dad's favorite part. That didn't stand out to me. <laughs> he, so he goes. So this, this is like way after terms. So he goes to see. So Moses goes to spend time with God, and, and the scriptures point out when he comes back, he has like a radiant like face, uh-huh. and so they just give this guy like an epic spray tan and like an epic perm when he comes back down. Nice. I, that part always made me and my dad laugh. <laughs> that's watching not the part I recall. But who knows when you encounter Jesus? Maybe or yeah. encounter yeah. God? Maybe that. Why do you guys think I have such great hair? I didn't have yeah. gray hair before I came here. <laughs> <laughs> before you got baptized in the Jordan yeah. River. Yeah. Real quick, um, Pastor, the Exodus 12, 3 that started this says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Uh, and so that on this day, this is the 10th day as Jesus is entering Jerusalem yeah. uh, and crucified on the 14th day. But Also significant, like yes. you know, which we'll talk more about. But essentially, you know, the Israelites, when God made his promise to Abraham that he would set aside a people for him and multiply him as like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, he said, but first, there's going to be 450 years of oppression. And Man, part of that is God's grace. Like, God desires all people to come to Him. Yes, the Israelites were set apart as carriers, but God says, until the full measure of their disobedience has arisen to me. And so, um, anyway, did you... What? Measure. Oh, you guys. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) so... 
so anyway, so they so they are under that oppression, and then God sends Moses to say, "Let my people go." And you know, there's the whole plague and all of that, the ten plagues, and then they finally, after the uh, finally on the the tenth plague, uh, God sends this angel of death who's going to pass over all the houses of Egypt, and he he says to the, the instructions through Moses to the Israelites are to take a, a, a lamb, spotless, without blemish, uh, a year old. And, and to sacrifice it and to prepare a meal just a certain way. And there's all kinds of layered meaning yeah. in the meal. But specific, then he, the, the, the main issue is to take the blood of the spotless lamb and to paint it over the doorposts of their house as a, a mark. And um, when the angel of death sees that, he will pass over the house. The death will not come to the firstborn of that house. And so then Israel, when they get out, as Pastor Ryan just read in Exodus 12, when they get out into the wilderness, they're instructed to remember, to, to celebrate this meal every single year and to retell the story of God fulfilling his promise to rescue his people so that salvation might come to all people. And that, that's so significant. So that's that's yeah. where the tradition of Passover comes from, and then and and from there there is a, there is a march back to there's a march to the promised land, and now Jesus is marching back to this this capital of the promised yeah. land as a spotless lamb to be our Passover lamb, so that salvation might come to all people through Jerusalem through Israel. So it's the amazing. Cir- the round coming full circle kind of thing. Yeah, man, it's really interesting. Something that I was kind of pointed out to me earlier today about uh, just kind of the sequential flow of uh, just the first five books of the Bible and the law and the Torah and all that was that Israel and the Passover, Israel was saved and rescued before they ever received the law of God. And so that they kind of pointed out that the point of the laws was not to point to their salvation or rescue. Like they didn't need to follow these laws so that God would save and rescue them. And it's interesting to see that parallel in Jesus' life where while they were far away from God, Jesus is marching into Jerusalem in the same way, going to die and save his people. That's really good, Pastor Danny. And what's going to happen next after he dies on the cross is then his spirit comes and then lays the law on people's hearts, which they could never follow in the first place. And so that's an interesting parallel between in the original story, the people were rescued from Egypt and then given the laws, which were the laws were just essentially how to live in the freedom that God had given them. They're a description right. of the kingdom that he's just saved right. them to, the promised land. Right. All fall into love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. Exactly. And then so, but Jesus comes, and, and we, we still need that reminder. We still need that ability. And so when Jesus comes, he dies, saves, and rescues, like Paul points out, before we ever did anything to earn or deserve it. And then through his spirit, we're able to truly receive the law to actually live into that freedom and kingdom uh, only through King Jesus who was able to f- be the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. So, yeah. A cool connection there. It's not, it's not boxes that we check so we are consecrated. Like, it's, it's boxes. It's, the law is not how we are, are rescued, right? It's not through the law, but it's through 
this blood, right, that Jesus does shed. The law is just a description of the way that we can live in light of his salvation. Right, like, yeah. yeah. What we've been empowered to. I mean, and anybody would agree that if, if our society followed those Ten Commandments, or if our society just lived according to the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that the world would be a better place. Even it, it, so, as, as the Scripture would call them, pagans, people who have no knowledge of God, people who have no interest in religious um, entanglements, yeah. recognize, yeah, just love God and love people. That's it. Like that's That would be a good world. <laughs> yeah, and what a moment right now, even yes. in the... So when the church building, I think that sometimes the church building becomes an idol and the focus of the kingdom when in all reality the individuals who have accepted, who have been rescued from Jesus by his death and resurrection are living this out. Right now we have to, this is a perfect opportunity to love our neighbor and to love God uh, and to disciple our, st- our children uh, in our house when we're all stuck together for 24 hours. Not stuck. It's really not stuck, <laughs> seriously. Where you get the blessing of having relationship and conversation with your students and children and spouses. Um, especially when our day-to-day lives get so busy, but now we don't have sports on TV to watch. We don't have our children in sports. So like how that's applicable now is like, Go to your neighbor and see what they need. Uh, and go to your neighbor and and I, I guess this is kind of an old timey idea. Like you'll probably speak to that better than me since you're like a half a decade older. But um, like people would go next door and borrow eggs or sugar or milk or whatever. And now we just solely independent. Uh, people don't do that hardly ever. Borrow from their neighbor. Um, or even have a lot of conversation with neighbors. Uh, so what an opportunity that we have right now to, to yeah. live that idea out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember like learning <clears throat> in, in, uh, in high school, which I'm a lot closer to high school than you guys were, so I don't know if you <laughs> remember this. Strong wants to take shots. Right. Ryan taking shots right. over there. That's all right. But how they talked how much like the Industrial Revolution kind of changed the scope of American culture. People stopped working at home. Like we went from a very agricultural based lifestyle where you're mostly working on your farm with your kids and you're at home and how kind of it really changed dynamic. Kids, parents started going to factories. Kids were spending more time with other adults than their own parents. Yeah. I feel like it's so interesting how like when we're in the day to day kind of like busyness of life, we kind of like look back to times like that and think like, man, mm-hmm. if we could just work from home and those were the good spend old days. times with <laughs> yeah. our kids yeah. and like yeah. Yeah. work from home and all that and do that. And it's interesting. It's like we get there and we're like, so cl- at least me, I mean, I don't have kids or anything. I don't have any like secret kids, but secret kids. Uh, but it's like, now that I'm here, it's oh, like, I, I feel like clueless, but I was like, man, there's been so many times in my life where I've like, talked about how the ideal was for a family to be home together and to work together and it's like we get there and i don't know and yeah i mean like gathering together is a is a part of the kingdom of god like scripture is clear about that too i think some of you already maybe where it's become easy for you to to not gather together are starting to hunger for that already now now that's not your choice it's not your busyness that's keeping you you're like man 
I miss that. But the Great Commission in Matthew 28 literally reads, as you are going, make mm. disciples. And so the, the church is not a building. Like to your right. original point, it is it, the, the kingdom of God is everywhere his people are. Like the, the original promise in Genesis chapter 12, and then that's reiterated in Genesis 15, is that I'm blessing you to be a blessing to all nations. So the nation of Walmart and the nation of your kids' soccer or basketball or baseball team and the na- and and then the literal nations, right. Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Like the the kingdom of God is never isolated to a gathering space. Gathering is a celebration of the kingdom at yeah. work in your life all through the week. Yeah, and when we sing together, we're singing, we're proclaiming the same things as one body and one spirit to God, and now, like, our lives are doing the same thing. Like, when we love our neighbor, we're all proclaiming the same kingship of Jesus that we're talking about. We're all proclaiming the the salvation or the rescue, like Pastor Danny likes to call it, uh, of Jesus. Like, our lives are proclaiming the same truths that we would proclaim when we're gathering together Mm. in the church. So... Living that out is is super important. Yeah, and I'd say I'd say if you're stir crazy right now already, that that is a sign. We've been talking around the office about Sabbath a lot lately, and so like I was just talking to uh, Sandy today and talking about how, and, and she was talking about how how that in this time she she can find herself just getting weary and and broke down because of doing too little. Yeah. And it be, that's because Sabbath is designed to be one good day of rest after six good days of full-on purposeful living. And so, like, if you're finding yourself stir-crazy right now, you need to set your eyes on Jerusalem. You need to set your eyes on the cross and how you could lay your life down to love your neighbor. You need purpose right now, and not just purpose to earn a paycheck, but you need you need to be fulfilling the great commandment. That's what right. you were made for. Sabbath is—when we when I say the word Sabbath, it sounds like this theological word that you automatically think, I just need rest, I just Come need on. to do nothing, I just need to— hang out and binge watch and pjs and netflix yeah yeah Yeah. pjs and netflix which totally there's a space for that one day a week but if if you've ever noticed like you do that long enough and all of a sudden you feel worse than you did before you rested Mm. it's because you were designed first and foremost for purpose you were designed for work not slave labor because to survive that's part of the curse but to be to have purposeful participation Mm. In God's created world, so Sabbath is too. You you can't have Sabbath rest without having Sabbath work. Does mm. that make sense? So mm. so if you're stir crazy right now, it's because you need Sabbath work. You need to find. You need to say, God, maybe the reason, God, I I recognize the reason that I am broke down right now is because I need purpose. Yeah. Will you show me how I can live your kingdom right now and and, and wake my dead spirit up? Right. That's good. Purposeful living. I mean, that, yeah. I think that's... Purposeful. Uh, I mean, right. put a dash there. Not, right. Don't do the purposeful living. Yeah. I think that's a, a huge uh, thing to point out because a lot of times 
we lose purpose, even in our day-to-day routine of going to work. In our family life, we lose sight of really why we do that. Um, And so, Mm. and Sabbath rest is all the more needed and beautiful when you have six days of that Sabbath work, yeah. like you said. So what you, I want to I want to hone in on something you just said. You said we lose sight of our fa- what what is the purpose of our work and family. So I I alluded to this just a minute ago, but one of Adam's curses is that now work and purpose is necessary for survival. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's why we lose sight of it because. One of the curses of sin, and so part of our redemptive work, part of the Holy Spirit's redemptive work in us, is for us to reactivate the things that sometimes can feel mundane to be purposeful. And the way we do that is we intersect the kingdom of God with survival. Yeah, we put all of our hope and trust in the kingdom, and then we we ask God to open our eyes, take the scales of the curse off our eyes, so that we can see the purpose. And, and the fulfillment of the place that he's put us. Yeah. And a lot of this, I think, also, like I have this conversation with college students all the time and young adults about finding their purpose and finding out what their lifelong calling to do is to be a teacher or pastor or whatever. And uh, I think a lot of times, it, the majority of the time, I think, um, it all boils down to living out the fruit of the Spirit, where every single day you're relying on the Spirit to fuf- to find that fulfillment, mm-hmm. right? It's it's fulfilled in the love and the peace. Uh, it's living out that in your family and in, at your workplace. Um, so that's where I always point young adults to is, like, sometimes when we talk about calling and purpose, we think like, oh, if I just become a pastor, like that's my purpose in life. That's my that's where I'm supposed to be. However, that that's not it. Living every day, no matter what you're doing, uh, possessing and living out the fruits of the spirit is, I think, a important aspect of that purposeful living. So, 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 a question then in light this. In light of what you said, Pastor Danny, do we do we produce the fruit of the Spirit? Do so we got to go to John 15. This is going to be full circle right here. Do we produce the fruit of the Spirit? Are we able to plant ourselves in the ground and come up with some sort of miraculous? Pastor Ryan, you want to read me sure. verse 1 of John chapter 15? Start with verse 1. Yeah, sort of verse one. All right. <clears throat> you just interrupt when we... Yeah. I think you probably need to read one through four Okay. to bear out Danny's point. So John 15, the vine and the branches. I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. So that in it we will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can ever bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Amen. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm. So, yeah, to answer your question, Stephen, man, when it comes to bearing fruit, I think it all goes back. I think the idea in the beginning was the tree of life was kind of the epicenter of the garden. Uh, it was the the place you know, like if you ate of the tree, it was eternal life, right? And for us, eternal life now, that's eternal life is having communion and relationship with God. And that I think that was no different in the garden. A, eternal life there just as much meant communion and relationship uh, with the God of the universe. And so to to be with the tree of life and to eat of it and to be a part of it was a gift from God, Um for him he he gave him other things to enjoy and i think this could kind of kept us in this time now like he gave him other trees it says there were trees that were just beautiful to look at there were trees just for food and they were part of the creation experience uh, but the ultimate tree was the tree of life which is communion with god and i i really think jesus is kind of riffing off the tree of life idea here when he says that he's divine uh, because uh and how that we have to eat and be a part of him as we are going to be part of God's new kingdom, I like to think of it as like we're garden growers. We're part of God's new garden of Eden, mm. bringing his rule and like reign that. back into the earth as we partner with him uh, in creation as humans were originally yeah. intended to partner with him uh, in his creative work. And that was always his desire to rule and reign with God, which is, I think, another reason why part of the reason is why Jesus had to be human. He was the ultimate human partnership with God completely man, completely God, fulfilling what uh, with humanity has never been able to do, but then living his life, having his sight on Jerusalem and showing that he is the true king, the true partner. I mean, Jesus is everything. He's the temple. He's the temple sacrifice. He's the new Adam, the new David, the new Abraham, the new lawgiver, the new everything. And that, you know, he's the fulfillment of the entire storyline of the Hebrew scriptures and the fulfillment of the entire storyline of humanity mm. and all of our desires and wants in life. And, um, and so as he goes to Jerusalem, right. And, and has his sight there, uh, Jesus is, is beckoning us and calling us to be a part of that new creation, uh, within him. And so, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, the key here is apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to, touch on something Ryan said and touch on something you and Danny said. So like I, the question that was arising as I was listening to Pastor Ryan is so many young people, it's not just young people no. though, and people are there when you get dissatisfied with a, with a place in your life, you think you have to produce something yeah. that you're not, that, mm. that you, we have this hunger to do something great for God and we think sometimes that our circumstances are too mundane for anything great to happen. Mm. But the truth is, God is the fruit producer. And where the place that you're at is where, where he has you right now. And what Pastor Danny said is your, your purpose, the, the tree of life for you, 
that you would that fruit would be produced in you is simply to commune with God. And so wherever you are, you draw near to his presence and you commune with him and he produces in the fruit. And and I can't remember who told me this. This is not my idea. It was one of my pastors or mentors or something at some point, but he just it, he talked about how your uh, the what it means to bear fruit. If you think about in this verse in John 15, he's the vine, you're the branches. Is to just offer out the things that you have mm. as branches to bear fruit. So rather than looking lustfully or discontentedly over here at other trees, you recognize what what uh, what kind of branches you have and you just say here's my branches, I'll bear produce fruit and I'll bear I'll bear fruit in these areas of my life. I'll commune with the tree of life and you'll produce in me the kind of fruit. And Danny, I love what you said. There's all kinds of trees in the garden. That Paul talks about this in the in the uh in the analogy of the body, that there are many parts to one body. But I, I like even more what sorry, Paul, but I like what <laughs> Pastor Danny just said, because that's what we're going back to the garden. Like the in the right. new heaven, new earth, the, the Garden of Eden will be restored. And so we are meant to be trees in that garden. I also liked like I kind of smirked to myself because you said Jesus is riffing on uh, the Garden of Eden. So Jesus is a DJ who's mixing all the <laughs> right. sounds nice. and all, and, oh, all, yeah. and all the all the instruments and and riffs and rhythms and melodies and harmonies and putting them all together to make this one rich heavenly song. And so to bear fruit, we just bear fruit. We don't produce it, which means this is why Paul can say, "I've I've learned the secret of being content." in any and every circumstance, so that I can do all things. I can do great things in any circumstance through Christ who strengthens me, through communion with Him, through simply drawing near to Him. I can have peace that passes understanding. I can rejoice in the Lord always. I can give thanks in all things. I can be content. I can be at peace, at rest. That was good. Yeah, Somewhere in there, there good. was a good point. I Amen. said a lot of things. Somewhere in there, yeah. there was a good point between the three of us. I'm no, not... yeah, th- no, I think it's really good. But, Danny, I guess I would ask you, like, what is our role in that? If we're not the fruit bearers... No, the fruit producers. We fruit, are the fruit, fruit Sorry, yeah. fruit producers, right. What is our role? Like, how, how are we connected to this vine? So, I think, man, that's a really good question. As I think about... The, the Hebrew scriptures and how people have in the Bible have connected with God. It seems as, as they draw near to God, I, I think the key point for us is to draw near to God, to simply genuinely seek and search and draw near to God. And what happens when we draw near to the presence of God is we become transformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for instance, in the life of Moses, when he goes up to Mount Sinai, and he is there, like right there. I mean, God's presence, you know, God is saying, this is holy ground. This is me. By the way, God presented as a, as a burning bush on Mount Sinai, you know, a tree of life. Um, and he's changed by that presence. And then so he, Moses goes down and then he wants Moses, he says, hey, the sign that all this is going to happen is you're going to bring up all of my people and they're all going to come up and experience me. And so... When Moses went up there, he was transformed as he generally sought after God's presence. I'm also reminded of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, when he has a vision where he is transported into God's throne room. 
in that vision, there's a seraphim, one of the angels of God, who comes down with a burning coal in Isaiah chapter chapter six. Mm -hmm. And so when Isaiah is in this throne room, I mean, he's scared. Moses was originally very afraid of God uh, because, I mean, you just kind of realize your low place. But the beautiful aspect is that when the seraphim brings the coal and touches him, we are then transformed by God's presence. And it's, it's, it's just genuinely... It's relational, right? It's genuinely seeking after God and his face and trusting and knowing that all these characters in the scriptures, when they encounter God, are transformed. Abraham gets a new yeah. name. Moses has a new face. Isaiah is literally transformed by this this coal that burns away all iniquities and allows him to be someone he could never be with his own strength and power. And so I think through seeking God, um, there's a transformation that happens. And I think that's why so many Christians talk about you know, Jesus changed my life. He transformed my life. They didn't just start thinking differently or have a different pattern of making, uh, but there's a genuine spiritual transformation that occurs yeah. within and through us. That's good. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing was the word genuine, right? It's not superficial. Uh, and verse 2 says that he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. And my notes reference that to uh, like a half a dozen or more other scriptures that <clears throat> point to a superficial following of God. So where it's not, there's no depth to it. There is no actual transformation, but there's only superficial belief. Um, and so I think a lot of this is also being honest with ourselves. Like where's, mm-hmm. Where is our heart at? Where is our is our faith genuine? Are we okay with any aspect or area of our life being transformed at any moment? Yeah. Are you afraid That's of it good. being transformed? That's how it's been for me, man. I know I'm in a bad spot when I think like, oh, I don't want this area of life to be yeah. touched or transformed. <laughs> because we know God's going to change something. We know he's going to transform something. And so they're afraid. Like the people of Israel... Like, we know how powerful God is. We know how great he is. People have known that from all times right. and all walks of life. But I think, are we are we willing to give up our own ideas of good and evil, or are we going to let God transform our whole life and how we live? And it's scary. Yeah. And it's been scary yeah. for all people of all times. Man. So. Is it, have, you ever, have you ever, like, the pastor teaches about something, or you've been in a Sunday school class or whatever, and you the lesson is just like you know it's probably something you need to deal with but you are just so unsure about where to begin and how far that's going to push into your life and what that would look like to change that you're just like you you find yourself like rationalizing away oh yeah like totally totally and 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 like deciding that surely that's not what jesus really meant that can't be what the no that's just impractical nobody lives that way like we all totally do that don't we i mean so it's so hard but so real quick though i want to basically what we're saying is since we don't produce the fruit what is our role as far as bearing fruit, and we've we've essentially said, like, it's communion with God, it's drawing near to Him, it's experiencing His presence so that we might be transformed. But guys, that sounds super churchy, and like, so, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm, I'm guessing that there are listeners who are like, okay, but can you just give me the brass tacks? What does that look like mm. practically 
in my life. So I wonder, like, if you could talk about just real simple practices that obviously we don't always do perfectly in doing these things, but when you are experiencing God's presence regularly, what does it look like for you to just simply draw near to Him? What are just practical, Mm -hmm. easy things from your own walk and journey that you think maybe somebody else could apply, not as a formula, like, do this and you'll be holy like I am. Well, (laughs) I don't know if you want to be holy like I am, right? You know, (laughs) but, but just... I don't know that I, I'm really all that holy, you know. So right. Just, just these are things my that have worked for me, you know. That, me. And your grandma, be like my grandma, she's yeah. Holy. yeah. So, so yeah, like, do you, do you all need a second or? Well, Danny, like you say that your grandma is more holy. Is that like a real statement? Like, do you, like do you consider her a, um, like a saint? Yes. That's yeah. a good word, but who knows? Who knows what was going on? Well, what, in her own head, are there you know? practices right. that you've yeah. observed in her life that's what, that that you could apply yourself mm. to to mature in the same way that she's matured in her faith? And mm. so when I when I think about that question, part of me and you you kind of commented it. Part of me, I wouldn't say like kind of twitched or cringed because I was like, man, like. Do I don't want to make this seem like some sort of formulaic way of living. Yeah. I don't want to make it seem like, hey, like if you just implement this thing into your life schedule. But this is discipleship so though. We but learn yeah. we learn in community together about how we grow in God. So so it's not we're not look, just to be real clear, this is not a formula, okay? You you can't just do what I do and expect it to just right. you've got to experience it in a way that works for you but just to give you we're just giving some launching points i guess yeah so for me uh it's having the mindset of christ first and so through prayer um on a like regularly through prayer just whether it's a situation at work whether it's a conversation with a sibling whether it's whatever it is like having the mindset of Christ and like this sounds super cheesy but like what would Jesus do like Dude, get old fashioned WWJD like what would you do like, is so underrated it's the most <laughs> underrated un- it's so it underrated. was really yeah. overrated like now it it's got, underrated. Every it got turned into a marketing so thing but every bracelet bro. but now it's in it the is 1990s bro next time yeah. you're like it never somebody just think like yo what would Jesus do even though I'm so mad at this person yeah. and it just like, it's like yeah. oh it never stopped oh. being a good question to ask yeah. right so and and so that's like bring it back kind of what checks me is and and sometimes it's not till afterwards that I've considered that like and I know I'm convicted by the spirit like that's probably the opposite of what Jesus would have done in that moment and so uh, so for me it's like a daily prayer of God today let me represent you in every act and every word and so that's that's a a big thing as far as me like each day having that prayer having that mindset um, and that comes through daily relationship with Christ, mm-hmm. uh, that constant conversation, that constant scripture, like all of the Sunday school answers, right? Like you're like, go to church and read your, read your Bible. And those are like, those are the ways that the spirit has continued to, uh, shape, mm-hmm. I guess my spiritual formation and reading scripture. You can read, I love the book of John. Um, 
but and I can read something in the book of John that I've read a thousand times and it convict me in a new way as I've developed my spiritual disciplines, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, you would expect a pastor to say some of those things, right? right. But dead, no, no cheesiness here. Like, there are people that I'm meeting with and mentoring that literally the one thing, and this is what really transformed my life as a pastor, is, is that if you will just read in the Scriptures 15 to 20 minutes a day, and then, like, if you're looking for a place to start with prayer, read a devotional about how to apply the Lord's Prayer, because literally the disciples watched Jesus pray, yeah. and they said, dude, we pray. Like, they went to prayer three times a day. They were good Jews. Mm -hmm. We pray, but we don't pray like you. We don't, we don't commune with God like you. We don't know His presence like you. And Jesus told them, I have food you, don't, you right. know nothing about. Um, and so they said, will you teach us to pray? And so what Jesus said was the Lord's Prayer. That's how he taught them yeah. to pray. So I would encourage you, if you Matthew struggle six. with prayer, study. Just You could literally Google like devotion on the Lord's Prayer, and you would find th some very common ideas that many pastors share and teach and write about, about how each of the sentences in the Lord's Prayer is a way to pray. And so just like start praying the Lord's Prayer. And I do that... More than any other thing in my life, this I pray the Lord's Prayer. I just go through that sentence by sentence, and the way that I apply and pray those things changes according to what God's speaking to me through the Scriptures and through the—like, maybe I read a promise or came across a new revelation, but these things are interwoven together. Right. And, and go to church, and don't just go to church on Sunday. Go to Sunday school, come on Wednesday night to a Bible study, tune in to—if you have to miss or whatever, listen to the podcast. What are, you know, we all have space in our weeks where we're listening to or watching right. something. I, I know that sounds like something a pastor would say— but I promise you that the ones that are growing in their faith in our church, and the, as I've pastored through the years, they will tell you, and you've maybe lived like that at points in your life, and those were points you grew. These are simple, basic things. that is just exposure, and as, mm -hmm. as you expose yourself to the Word of God, which is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, cutting between uh, bone and marrow, soul and spirit, it's spiritual and physical, you will be transformed. Straight up, just read the scriptures, pray, and spend time with God's people. And and at, and like Ryan said, pray that God will be, begin to weave that into your daily life, and yeah. it will it will transform you. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think I I always love Genesis. If you guys don't know, is my favorite book. And so I, when you asked me that question, I was thinking, what was God's original intentions for humanity, and what did communion mean? for Adam, for Eve, and what was it that caused them to fall? What was it that separated them from the communion? And it really is, I think, as simply as taking intentional time to spend and talk with God, to hear His voice. Because in this world, there's all sorts of different type of influencers. And so they had the influential voice of God, but it was at the time when they weren't with God that other voices start to talk in their head. Other voices started to gain influence, right? And then the things that looked like trees of life and the things that looked like trees of death, they flip-flopped, right? And so I think ultimately what it means to practically 
have time with God is you have to spend it. And so when, when I look at Jesus, who I, you know, is partially the new Adam, Jesus was absolutely bathed and lived on the Hebrew scriptures. Like, you know, something, something, uh, one, I like a uh, Bible project a lot, Tim Mackey, shout outs. Maybe he's watching. There's no way he's watching, <laughs> but, uh, 0% <laughs> chance he's watching, but he always talks about how like they didn't have like media, like Netflix or television shows. Like for these people, like their media was like reading the Bible and praying and like communion and no. And, and I think a lot now at times we have a lot of other influencers, like things that could bag our time and attention and they could kind of alter our views of what looks like the things that God says is life and the things that God said will bring to death. And we could easily convince ourselves of the others mm. as humanity did in the beginning uh, if we're not careful that spending time with God. Because like imagine if like they were spending time with God and that other voice was there, man. Like it wouldn't even stand a chance, you know? Like it would it would it would bow to God. Like mm. it would have no chance. And so I, I genuinely think like, are you having a mindset of spending time with God always? Like are you partnering with God with your day? Are you like spending like a time in the morning or do you feel like you're a partner mm. for his kingdom throughout like the oh, whole day good. in your workplace? Yeah. Like, at home like at yeah, work and so that's good i think thinking of it as like a like a partner genuine partnership like it was intended to be not just oh this is god time this is this time but having a partnering mindset which i think ryan i mean ryan so ryan said like right. having a the mindset of christ was jesus's mindset was that i am the father and the father is me and i don't do anything that the father doesn't right. want me to do and you yeah. don't have this spiritual life and then school life and work life and you don't have all these different segments of life because if God is not interwoven into each and each one of those categories of life, then we're, then it's just a legalistic thing. Anyway, we're just checking a box like, Oh, I read my Bible and prayed this morning. But if we like, we can't separate our work life from our spiritual life. Yeah, like right. we, we have a life and it's whether or not we're connected to the life or the yeah. life giver. Yeah. So yeah, Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mm-hmm. He specifically addressed money, but that's a fill in the blank right. object. Yeah. It's good. Any questions that need to be answered online there? Yeah, there's one really important question. Mark Smith said hello to just Danny. Whoa. Not to Mark. Ryan, not to Steven. So this was like an hour ago, but I'm gonna still say what's up to Mark. I don't know if he's still watching, but <laughs> I want to say hello back to Mark. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Well, I know we had other questions on the list, but we have right. I think we've talked for yeah. over an hour at this yeah. point. Especially with the hour fifteen hiccup. Yeah, the, well we'll edit that out. Yeah. But uh Well now they know that we Y'all this is out. this is like <laughs> this on, is bro. like a day Whoops. in the life of, of staff meeting and just mm-hmm. hanging out around the office. And we'd love to hear your feedback. And I'm, I'm even just, I'm having so much fun doing this. I'm just thinking that it would be neat to have uh, and yes. ask the pastors talk occasionally. So if you have questions, uh, legit questions that you are wondering about, that you'd like to hear us talk about, and um, you, sh- you, you could submit those via a Facebook message or, uh, or via email. Uh, my, my email address is smorrison at cookvillenazarene.org. Daniel, type nice. that in the comments oh, right yeah, now comments. Um, so that you could email uh, a question for the pastors. And I- I'm not going to say when we'll do this again. Basically, when we 
have some good questions uh, or the next time we have a good talk around the office. Um, and, and if you if you find this worth your time, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. And uh, and we'd love to do that. I'd, I'd love to do this again, but yeah. maybe that's at just because I like to talk. Yeah, S. Morrison at cookvillenazarene.org. Danny and uh, I already planned that we're going to redo this or continue to do this as like a regular option till we get famous yeah, <laughs> yeah. the fame is yeah. not on my agenda yeah. let's uh let's pray sure and uh and then we'll we'll close this thing out mm-hmm. heavenly father just want to give you praise for um your word that is that is truth and um and and thank you for your spirit that brings it to life and uh gives it power and uh gives it meaning to us and thank you for um allowing all all people to call on your name and to find salvation and to receive revelation and uh, Lord in light of just in light of all the chaos in our world Lord I lift up the community of Putnam County and just pray in Jesus name you'd be with those who continue to be recovering from the tornado dealing with insurance and cleanup and repairs and all kinds of stuff I just pray that you'd be and families that are grieving and Lord I lift up our, our world as uh, we face uh, something that's unprecedented in our lifetimes uh, in, in several decades, and just pray, Lord, for healing. We know that uh, turning towards you is the answer um, for all of the problems in this world. And so, Lord, we just cry out um, for restoration. We cry out for your kingdom to come. We cry out for you to return, Lord. We, we're waiting on you, and we recognize you are the one we need. Lord, help us to become more hungry for you. Uh, help us to become... Um, desperately seeking after your face. And thank you for meeting with us today. I pray that you would use this conversation um, to draw us nearer to you and into deeper, um, more intimate communion with you. Thank you for Pastor Danny and Pastor Ryan and uh, and for the family that we, uh, that we share here at Cookville Nazarene. And uh, we just pray that your blessing would be on um, the ministry of the gospel uh, according to your will here in Jesus' name. Amen.